as we get this brand new podcast going, this brand new West Buck show deal going, it seems only fitting that I kind of come out of the gates with both gunned with both barrels blazing here, you know, swinging for the fences. And that's why I wanted to get this deal started with the one and only Donald, the duck long, the, the mayor of drag radial self proclaimed drag racing promoter of the year, like 15 years running almost unbelievable track record. And there's been so many things that he's been associated with the last several years, whether it's his lights out events in South Georgia and the, the no mercy events that are also at South Georgia motorsports park. And then the big fabled 101,000 to win sweet 16 events, been so many record sets, so many jaw dropping moments and not surprisingly, a whole lot of controversy and drama that have surrounded all these different things. And I just wanted to We've been talking about doing this for a long time, Donald. We've been we've been threatening to have like a real wide ranging conversation, but it seems like we've always gotten kind of drilled down to a couple of topics. So I'm excited to have you on here today to be able to just kind of let it go wherever it wherever it may lead. How how are you this afternoon, man? You have you rested up from the Sweet Sixteen and, and lights out? It's getting I mean, it's getting better for sure. You know, I just want to say if you want to start talking about undisputed things, though. The uh, I would say the promoter of the year has to be right up there for uh, 15 years undisputed. Well, I, hey, man, there's no one that I, I can't argue with it at all, dude. If you look at the sport of drag racing right now, there's no – I mean, and I'm not just trying to give you kudos. I'm really not. There's just really – there's not a lot that can be said about it, man. This thing, if I was – if I look at the sport of drag racing and you look at the events that have kind of captured the attention of the masses and, and and cross over, there's no doubt that your events down at South Georgia are the ones that get everybody talking. Whenever I'm out and about, this happened earlier this year that I was at the, uh, an NHRA national event in Gainesville. And I couldn't believe how many people were talking about the sweet 16. I mean, here I am at one of you know, arguably one of the biggest NHRA national events that they have every year, the Gator Nationals, the East Coast opener. It was the 50th annual running this huge celebrated moment. And everybody want to talk about radial tire cars. Well, I mean, that is awesome. I mean, that does make you obviously that's got to make you feel good, you know, on the, you know, on a, you know, a real deal, you know, no BS, you know, obviously something like that. Like when you call me and would tell me that, you know, obviously that makes somebody feel, you know, like they're doing something right, you know, and like you say, a self-proclaimed deal, you know, it's a, it's it started off as a funny thing. And so, you know, we love to keep our years rolling with it, but, um, but the gate, you know, obviously the Gators, man, the, what can you say about that too, man? What an awesome, what an awesome race. I saw the, the aerial shots of that thing, man. Holy cow. That was in, you know, crazy too. But it's, uh, when I would see the, the little kids posting with, uh, Alex Laughlin and Stevie Jackson, you know, uh, see it sweet 16 next week. That was phenomenal. I loved it. I wasn't surprised by it at all. Really. Whenever I got down there and, and started talking to some of those dudes, guys like Alex Laughlin and, and Stevie Jackson, I know I see it all the time, the impact that they've made and in, in the fan, the fan following that they've built and they've worked hard to do it, man. I mean, and you've played a big role in it, but they're active on social media. They engage the fans and it really didn't surprise me at all. Whenever I saw them and, and they told me like, man, I've got fans coming up to me saying that they're only here to, you know, wish me luck for the sweet 16 or come. The only reason they came wasn't to see John force or a bunch of nitro cars. They came down to see me. And I, just, for me, whether it's radials or pro mods or whatever, and we can, we can talk about all those different things. But the fact that door car racing has exploded, like it has 
in the last decade. For me, it's it's a heartwarming thing. I think that this is the best brand of drag racing. It's the it's the biggest, most trafficked part of drag racing in my opinion and i mean obviously bracket racing has a huge following no question there's tons of people bracket racing but when i look at when i talk to chassis builders whether it's jerry bickle rick jones larry jeffers the list goes on danny mccoy tim mccamus all these guys they're building door cars i mean these guys can hardly keep up with the growth that exists with this type of racing and you know i love to harass people and promote but you know as well i mean listen all I ever had to begin with was big tire stuff, quick eight cars, um, not to the pro mod extreme, obviously like, you know, Stevie Jackson or somebody like that. But, you know, we had our automatic pro mod, you know, door car stuff. And, you know, that that's what I grew up with. So the radial thing came later. So when I'm always harassing those guys, obviously, you know what I mean? People who take it way out of context or whatever, it's like, you know, they don't understand the, uh, the internet persona or, you know, to keep in, you know, with what I believe, you know, and, and I, and I love the, the radial and the small tire stuff, but just like you said, the whole door car, you know, thing in general is just, it, it is phenomenal. I mean, if you look at pro mod, even over, what would you say the last three or four years, right? Would you say that it's like really just blew up also? I mean, no like question, really, man. it's, it's reached a fever pitch and I, you know, obviously you kind of wave the, the radial tire flag and I fly the, the pro mod flag. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but pro mod has really kind of come into stride the last few years that NHRA pro mod series, the quarter mile legal stuff. It's, it's existed for a long time. I mean, it's been around since like 2000, but it's not been since the last few years that it's really got its legs underneath it. It's got a ton of cars, a ton of high level cars. It wasn't that long ago that whenever there was an NHRA pro mod race, it was 16 to 18 cars maybe i mean a lot of times they want to have a full field and a lot of the cars that came out were bouncing off one guardrail or launching over the you know the a the a frame in between the in the right around the christmas tree it was a disaster so to see it reach the level that it has like todd tuttero and stevie jackson going 560 side by side it's stupid man and, and actually you took my next thing away that i was going to say i think that love him or hate him you know, between Stevie Jackson and, and, you know, King Tut out there. So I think you have to give those guys, at least from social media standpoint, you have to give those guys credit for putting extra attention. You know, obviously you waving the flag, you know, with the whole promo thing for everything else. But as far as that NHRA deal goes, I think you got to give those two guys at least partial credit for everybody that follows them on Facebook that goes over there to watch that stuff. I really can't argue it, man. They've brought Stevie was one. My eyes really kind of lit up whenever he made his debut in Gainesville, whenever that was like last year, I guess when he showed up in Gainesville and made his debut, I couldn't believe how many people were cheering him on. I'd get online and you know, you pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook and it was one congrats, Stevie, go get him, Stevie after another. And it wasn't necessarily just fans. I mean, it was like racers, people from the, the industry, people from our community cheering on their their brethren. And it was a really kind of cool thing to see. And I think it's helped the class as a whole. I know a lot of those guys that are old school pro mod guys that have been around for a long time. They see Stevie as a valuable commodity. They'll all tell you like, hey, we need to hitch our wagon to this guy and 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 hold on for as long as he'll pull us because he's he's a needle mover for him. Absolutely. I think that if you run pro mod, you know, or, you know, anything Stevie's involved in, whether it's, whether it's, you know, 
radio racing or pro mod, but absolutely with pro mod. If I was a pro mod guy out there and I was one of the guys who sat back and really didn't say much, but I love the sport of pro mod, I would definitely be pulling for Stevie Jackson to, you know, to help us take it to the next level. I think it's good right now. What we're seeing with him, you know, leading the points, really performing well, he's got, there's so many, it's really good for drag racing. We need guys like him out racing. We need guys like him having success. So it's a, that's, that kind of leads me to a fun question that I, that I've been wanting to talk to you about. It seems like radial tire racing you've been, and I, you know, I don't want to turn this into just a, you know, brag and blow about duck, but you have, you've had, you've been blessed to have a lot of characters down there, right? That you've had a superstar cast of characters and you've helped birth a lot. I mean, you named Stevie fast Jackson, Stevie fast. I mean, you gave created that moniker. So you've been a big part of it, but let's be fair. You have had, you know, Keith Berry's and you've had the Stevie Jackson's and you've had some of these larger than life characters. I'm curious how much have they played a role in how big radio versus the world's gotten, how big your brand's gotten, do you think it could have happened without those characters? It could never happen without the characters. And and obviously, you know, I'm not going to say I would say that I would say that we helped with 50 or 60% of the characters and then you have the ones that are just characters themselves, you know, what you know like Keith Barry coming in there. I mean, it was really great to have, you know, Keith Barry in there. Um as far as like Keith Haney goes and, and not just trying to really nobody on, nobody on our side of the world ever really heard of Keith Haney. Okay. So us picking on him for about a year brought that to the top to where everybody wanted to see somebody race Keith Haney, even though really they didn't know who he was. You know what I mean? You know, with the Stevie Jackson, yeah, we helped name him, but Stevie is just, he's a character no matter what he races. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, the whole outlaw versus ten five deal with naming, uh, you know, Ken Cartuccio, you know, the serial killer was to, you know, to try to, and you got to have things happen. You know, they got to be racing somewhere. They got to be doing well, you know, it, to be able to, to, to use those guys and have the characters in the sport. Do you sure. think that <laughs> this is, and I don't, I don't know how, if you follow like ultimate fighting championship or anything else like this, but there's this whole situation where the UFC Dana White, who's, you know, another kind of world renowned promoter, and he does a phenomenal job. He talks about how it, you can't, you can take someone that has that's special that you, that has that secret something and you can turn them into a star, but you can't just force a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. Do you? Do you see yourself, I mean, do you and Linko sit back and like kind of look at the qualifying sheets and say, hey, here's a guy that, I mean, have you talked to him? He's hilarious. Or man, have you talked to that guy? He's got a big personality. Do you guys sit back and kind of dream and scheme about people that you can thrust into the spotlight? We do absolutely sit back before even like going into the Sweet 16. But I will say this, and I, and I wish, you know, if you had Linko, he would tell you. Every once in a while, though, you're surprised. Like, there's a couple people that he interviewed and he would come up to the tower and say, Hey, listen, man, you got to go down there and, you know, and talk to, you know, to, to Paula Jutes or, you know, once you get, you know, Ken Cretuccio going, like there's people out there also to where you really don't think they're going to have, you know, something really great to bring to it, but you get down there interviewing them. And it's like you said, they actually are already, they're already almost a fit for that right hole. 
You just got to get them in the right thing to make it work. But absolutely, there's some that will never, no matter what you did, you could not make them a star just based on the way that they are. Their personalities won't let them get to that point. It seems to me like a lot of the stars, one of the things that we all kind of fight with is that the guys that do this stuff for a living, they seem to be much more willing to kind of embrace the the race car driver role where you, you deal with some of these guys that have businesses and they're just really race. They may do it at a professional level, but they race for a hobby. It's harder to get them to kind of dive in to the, the character role or being a big, loud personality or whatever. Like Keith Haney is a prime example. It surprises me in a lot of ways that he's literally a hobby racer. I mean, I'm not trying to bag on him. I mean, that's not a, a negative comment. You know, it's just a fact that he races for fun. He does it on the weekends when he's doesn't have other stuff to do, but he's really embraced this kind of beloved villain role. And it kind of blows my mind, man. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, and we can tell right away, like we'll go after somebody. Okay. And we want to see what they're built out of. You know, me and J- me and Link will sit there and go, okay, you know, let's let's rag on him a little bit and see where he goes. Because if they can't take a little bit of ribbon, to be honest with you, they're probably not what we're looking for to take something next level. You know, Keith Haney, you know, he's taking a beat and the guy just embraces it, bro. Embraces it. You know, you know, you take uh, Keith Barry and uh, he was the same way, man. He'd come right back at you or something. So with Keith Barry, you know, he would like come back at you. Uh, Stevie Fast, you know. Same way, you know what I mean? He'd come back at you. And there's a lot of guys out there that in the in the sport, you know, in the in the door car stuff that we love because they will come back. They are, you know, larger than life. And that's what we're looking for. You have to have Wes, I don't think anything can, you know, go up and top out if you don't have something. You know, what what, what would the WWF be, you know, or WWE or, or whatever, you know, with without Hulk Hogan, you know, or what would it have been without Dusty Rhodes or, you know, it, you know what I mean? There's so many things you have to have those characters. I agree, man. And it's, I've used that WWE analogy a ton because I've tried to talk about the value of a, of a promoter because I would argue that Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan would not have been near what they became without Vince McMahon. You have to have (laughs) a circus master, right? You have to have somebody out front screaming and yelling, kind of developing the storylines, kind of throwing jabs left and right and keeping the pot stirred up. And that's what I think, like not to bag on the NHRA, but when I look at high level drag racing in the NHRA, they're inarguably our sports big show. That's one of the things that I kind of see lacking. It's become so corporate and it's so sterile that there's no one really out front promoting it. Now I granted, I know that it's a highly competitive sport and it's, it's professional and it's, there's all these other layers to it, but there's still there's an entertainment component to what we do, right? I mean, it's a, it's an entertainment. I argue that drag strips are open air bar and grills. That's really what they are. And drag racing just happens to be the band that you've booked in, you know? And it's, I look at it and I go, man, I wish that there was someone, you know, in the NHRA that was a bit of a circus master, a little bit of a circus promoter that would come in and yell and scream about the lions and tigers, I think it would be a lot better. The problem is, is that I think, man, I tell you, I, what I, you know, we're, we've got our honest caps on here. 
And I think that what I don't like, listen, I'm not saying what I do is a hundred percent right. Okay. Maybe that doesn't work for all the, you know, the corporate people or whatever. But I think that also, you know, this, I don't know, I don't want to use the bad word, but like a pussified America isn't the way to go either West. Well, I guess. certainly you know, not today. I mean, if you look around the stuff that, I mean, if you look at even what's on cable television now, I mean, it's, it's cussing and ranting and raving and, and I mean, the, it just, the filter's different in 2019 than it was in like 2009 for sure. And I think that the guys that are a little bit brash and loud, that stuff gets attention, man. I mean, if you look at some of the most popular people, Dana White's another one of the president of the UFC. I mean, he's a cuss words, every other word out of his mouth, man, but it hasn't halted the growth of the UFC. I mean, people would probably argue that it's grown faster than any other sports property in history. Right. And, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, and I got told by a couple people, you know, one of the, we'll just say mail order, mail order magazine, you know, companies, as far as, you know, parts would go, you know, they're like, well, you know, we don't really want to be involved with the guy, you know, because he, you know, he says F this or, you know, whatever. But, but I'm going to, I would sit here and my argument would be Wes, that if somebody's out in their garage and they're, and they're busting their knuckles or they're doing whatever, and these guys are, are mechanics and plumbers and all this other stuff. I don't believe for a second that a regular guy is going to get offended and not buy a part because I went and said something because I'm sponsored by that company. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to, you know, like where do we draw the line? I mean, we're not talking about, this isn't, this isn't going to, I'm not asking them to sponsor a church or something. You, You understand what I'm saying? I just think that we, I think that there, I think people aren't looking at things in the exact way they should sometimes. I think that the racers and what we do, you know, I think you can throw in a couple cuss words here and there. I can't argue, man. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I really just applaud the effort to bring a little bit of sports entertainment and the WWE flair and kind of embracing some characters. Whenever this whole deal started, I'm curious, did you, this duck thing, how did that whole deal come to be? And did you know early on that like, I'm going to wear the cowboy hat. I'm going to get a big fur coat. I'm going to wear a gold chain. I'm going to wear the sunglasses. When did you start to put that whole plan together or think that that was important? Well, it, it, and you're right, though. It did go back to the WWE. When me and Jimmy was even talking, you know, the whole deal was, you know, everybody, Ric Flair, everybody always dressed up with something. You know what I mean? Everybody has something that they know. I mean, even look at, you know, look at football players. Like, it, what do you think? You know, you think of uh, Bear Bryant. What do you think? You think of that hat that he wore, right? The Alabama freaking hat deal. If you think of, you know, Tom Landry from the Cowboys, there's certain things that each person, I think, that they're known by type deal and I think that with this though it's more of you know a full character instead of just something like that but you're always going to remember somebody by something well and I think it happens in pro sports leagues like the NFL Odell Beckham Jr. he's like one of the most celebrated NFL players on the planet everybody knows he's got that like dyed blonde hair right I mean it's just everybody knows how he looks and he's got like a persona that he's created and it so for me it's no surprise that you guys that it's been so successful, but I'm curious, did you kind of go into it with, I'm going to create this, this nature boy type character? Well, we, we went into it in full WWE style deal right out of the gate with the whole, you know, talking crap and drama and trying to create controversy, which is what I always felt like, you know, Vince McMahon and them did, you know, was that, you know, you, 
you got to have these different characters, but you got to have controversy. You got to have something going on on both sides of it. And so that's what we did. And then, you know, every time that we'd be out somewhere, you know, oh man, look at that. There's a, you know, whatever robe, let's get that, you know, or, you know, Hey, there's a diamond studded black leather, you know, coat, let's get that. You know, then I was up in, you know, West Coffin visiting wheels up there, Brad, Brad Keller. And I'm there at the, um, I don't know, factory fur outlet or something. And there's a, you know, a woman's mink coat, fur coat or something. I'm like, yeah, I'd fit right into that. So it's like, you just, you pick up things along the way and the character changes a little bit, I think, as you go. What's been the hardest part? Because this is something that I find myself explaining to people all the time that'll ask me about you. People in the industry or just friends of mine, you know, like my dad or whoever. What What do you think of that Donald Long? What's that guy really like? And I have to, I quickly tell them that like, hey, 99% of what you see isn't really, in my opinion, and I might be wrong, isn't, in my opinion, a good representation of who you are. You know, because you and I have had a lot of conversations you know, about friends and family and life and everything else. And you're a good dude. You know what I mean? A good family guy. I mean, you just drop your kids off, you know, it's how hard is it to contend with that? People kind of knowing your online persona, this character, this aforementioned character, how hard is it to deal with people knowing that character better than they really know Donald Long? I think that, I think now there are a lot more people out there that know the real deal than what there used to be. It used to be every time I would actually sit down with somebody, you know, and we would sit there and we, wherever it would be at, and we'd sit there with a couple other racers and they'd say, man, they go, I just want to tell you something, man, you're not near as big of an asshole as I thought you was. And that's always been like this, you know, (laughs) funny thing for me because I'm like, don't believe the internet persona. Like you said, 90 or 95% of anything that I've got going on on Facebook is just BS. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, obviously I do stand for certain things and, and I am going to get upset just like everybody else in the world would. And, and yes, I want to back what I feel is right or, or what's important and stuff like that. But the rest of it is just BS. Well, and it's one of the things that I've found interesting is how you've been able to deal with racers and have this character and this whole persona because you'll go after your own racers. You'll call, I mean, Keith Haney's a prime example. You'll bag on Keith and you'll get after a lot of these different guys. You know, there's this big historic kind of legendary goings on rivalry with the Bruder brothers. And there's all these different racers that you've contended with over the years. But I mean, the Bruders are actually a prime example. You've beat these guys up and down, but you handed the man like what? $50,000 a few weeks ago. Right. And, th- and this is the thing. Listen, most of the time, well, half the time with the brooders, I'm just looking for something to do. Now there is, there is, they have upset me on a couple things, but I do respect them. And, and I've said this, this is what I've said from day one, forget anything where there was a loophole type deal. Let's just say apples for apples. Those guys can run with anybody in the country. And I've said that even when, I've been totally mad or upset or said something I probably shouldn't have. I've always said, listen, those guys could run with anybody heads up. No doubt about it. So my problem, I don't think, I guess, is with the brooders as much as it is with some of the rule makers who have put people in a bad spot. Maybe I should, maybe I should have been apologizing to the brooders a little bit and blaming somebody else. But, you know, I, you know, if the Bruders do something I don't like, I'm going to tell them. You know what I mean? But I'm also going to give them 100% credit when they come in there and do phenomenal things also. 
Well, and, I, and that's what I'm trying to say is that despite the relationship that you kind of have with a lot of these guys online, I'm curious, have you ever called up anybody? And I'm not trying to like let the cat out of the bag or let anybody know that it's all made up, but have there been guys that you've kind of grabbed by the shirt and said, Hey, listen, I'm going to get in your ass online here, or I'm going to don't think I'm not going to talk about this whole deal. And I'm going to let people know what's going on and kind of got them clued in. Do you have to do any of that to just kind of get people to to chill out? I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can't say that it's never happened. Like I can't sit here and say that I haven't been like, Hey, I'm fixing a gun, but I'm going to be honest with you. Now, 90% of that, I don't warn them because I don't think that that, I don't think I would get the same reaction sometimes if I warn them. So oh, like, I'm sure I'm you want it. I'm sure you want it, but I, it's so, funny to me. Yeah. So sometimes I will go after them and sit back and let them get on there and cuss me out and just be laughing about it the whole time. Absolutely. But I don't call them first. <laughs> you know what I mean? I gotta, I don't, I don't think I would get the same reaction. It's like, when I went after Keith Haney, I never even met Keith Haney or talked to him in my entire life. I went after Keith Haney because, let's face it, Keith Haney has this big 300-pound ego right on top of his shoulders. No question. And so, so like, he's an easy target. So, although he, you know, and this is what's always, what I always get is that it's a lot of times it's the people who throw a lot of money at me, like the sport or promote, you know, as far as sponsorship, and them are the ones I beat the hell out of. So even though Keith sends a check every time, it's like, hey, beat the hell out of me. I'm going to send you this check. It's crazy, man, because that's another one of the most commonly asked questions that I get. I have people all the time say, hey, is this whole deal with Donald and Keith, is that for real? And I'll tell them, like, I've got to be honest. Yeah. It is. It's pretty real because it's not like scripted. These guys don't get together and plan out who's going to say what and when. Well, it's pretty off the cuff, man. And it's. Well, I think that's what has made it so interesting to watch. I will say I can't believe Keith has tolerated it and handled it as well as he has because he's been a really good sport about it. And I got to be honest, I don't have thick enough skin for that game. He absolutely has. But let's face it. The guy does some dumb shit. I mean, he walks right into it, man. I've told him that I mean, on a multitude of occasions. Keith, you're begging for this stuff, man. Like if you, I, I mean, if you make another status update on Facebook that starts with yeah. four immediate release, I, yeah. I, mean, I just don't know. I mean, how many of those can you really take with that guy talking about himself in third person or fourth person or however many egos that guy's got before you sit there and go, I, like, I can't believe the people who are reading that shit. And that's why I got to go after him, man. I, I totally understand it, man. So moving on from the, the characters and all this stuff, let's be honest, man. You've, you've, done, you've been married to radial racing for a long time, and I would argue that this – I think radial – I mean, I remember the first time I went to Orlando and I saw the car count in drag radial, and I was blown away, from, blown away by it. And I always kind of felt in my gut that that was some of the best racing, coolest cars, lots of people. But – in all fairness, you were the one who, who went out on a limb and started to tell people that you truly believed radial tire racing was not class. It was not a filler class. This is a marquee attraction. And I'm just curious, did you ever, whenever you started, you know, making those posts and making those claims that radial tire cars to the front motherfucker and so on and so forth, did you ever 
think that it would be where it is today, $100,000 purses. You've had 100 people try to copy your idea and do it themselves or do it, do it differently or slightly differently. Did you ever think it would reach this level? No, absolutely not. Like when, when it first started, you know, and, and they didn't really call it, you know, outlaw radio or drag radio. It used to be called stock suspension, actually. You know, basically is what they were calling it. You know, you'd have stock suspension radio stuff. But the, um, you know, like when they were racing for $1,503,000, I had so much fun tuning, you know, tuning on those cars. And that's the thing. People now, they, they all, you know, duck don't race. He don't do this. You know, they don't understand the amount of, you know, time and tuning and everything that I put into that class, you know, way, way back in the day also. So it's like, I always loved that part of it, but I just always felt like, and you, you got to agree that no matter what, it was like, you'd come in and this was funny because we used to go all the time and no matter where you went to, it would be like, Oh yeah, make a right, go all the way to the back, back there, all the way to the tree line. And that's basically where you parked at. You know, if you didn't have a pro mod or I guess, what did they call that one? Though? Tony pro Christian street. Yeah. Pro, pro street. Yeah. If you didn't have a pro street car, you know, or maybe I'll ten five, you know, pro street, you know, you weren't like, you weren't in the in crowd, bro. You know what I'm saying? You weren't in the in crowd. And you certainly weren't parking on pavement. I mean, right. I mean, you definitely weren't in no. that. No, and that no. existed across the country, man. I mean, the, outlaw pro street or pro mod and then outlaw 10 five became a pretty star attraction for a long time there at its height jack Absolutely. barfield mike hill steve kirk jr all those guys tim lynch that was a a really big deal but there's no doubt that the radial deal was largely seen as a filler class you pay 1500 2000 bucks you'll get a whole bunch of these dudes to come out and put on a show and keep the track going whenever your your star cars were were getting ready to race and it's but I look at events, I mean, it, literally, we had an event here just a few weeks ago, and we we're going to probably talk about it, the Outlaw Street Car Reunion. It, it was weird to me to watch that event just as a pro mod guy and see that the star attraction was the radio versus the world cars. There were 40 pro, and this is hard for me to say, Donald, because I'm a pro mod guy. There were 40 pro mods there, but they ran them guys and got them out of the way so the radio cars could come up. And I just thought to myself, man, how things have changed, you know, and it, and it's funny because I saw a similar thing back in 2006. I went down to Huntsville, Alabama for the outlaw nationals. And it was a kind of a co-promoted Orska slash uh, uh, Huntsville event. George Howard was involved and it paid 50,000 to win an outlaw 10, five. And it was actually one of the first races that we ever went to as quote unquote drag illustrated. One of the first events we ever covered, but I went down there and I remember I couldn't believe that it paid 50,000 to win outlaw 10, five and it paid 10,000 to win pro mod. And I remember Mike bell was driving for, for, uh, Roy Hill. They had a pro, a supercharged Mustang pro mod and they ended up winning the race. Mike bell is an old friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, legendary pro stock pro mod driver, super talented dude. And he looked me in the face and he goes, man, I can't believe that they just paid a streetcar guy five times what they paid me. I guess we better build one of these 10, five cars and the same thing could be. And here we are, you know, almost 15 years later and it's, it's only gotten worse that we've got street car, street tire cars racing for a hundred thousand dollars, 50, $60,000 a couple times a year at your races. It's really crazy, man. Well, and, and I think that it does like, you know, there's a lot of people who, um, 
other promoters that we all know that actually go against my thing of paying the bigger money. And, you know, and that's fine. You know, it, it's not for everyone. I understand that. You, you know what I mean? I don't think that no matter how much crap I talked out there, though, I think that if we was paying people five or $10,000 to win, I don't think that we'd be sitting here talking about the same thing, Wes. I don't think that, you know, people at NHRA would, no matter how much we talk, if you had a Sweet 16 and it paid 10000 to win, are they really going to be talking about it versus paying $101,000 to win? No, no question in my mind. And I, I actually think it's weird because I have – my I have mixed emotions about the big money thing, and I'll we can talk a little bit about it as it relates to X two seventy five because I've said in the last few months that after the Sweet Sixteen and your World Series of X two seventy five and fifty thousand to win and all these cars, I believe that that class will never be the same. It's it's going to be different. How it's going to be different, I'm not necessarily sure. But on the other side of a payday like that you're just going to, it's going to change. It changes the dynamic. It just goes to a different level. And I think sometimes good and sometimes bad. I mean, there's good things that come from it and there's bad things that come from it. I point back to that race in 2006, the outlaw nationals in Huntsville. I remember well being so blown away. There were Orska races all over the Southeast that were paying like seven or 10,000 to win and drawing a lot of cars, man. I mean, they would get really strong participation, George Howard puts up 50,000 and for a 32 car field outlaw 10, five. And I think 28 cars showed up to it because a whole lot of guys stayed home. They're going, I don't have a chance against Steve Kirk. I don't got a chance against Jack Barfield. I certainly don't have a chance against Steve Petty and Tim Lynch, the Lynch mob and guys stayed home because they knew that they weren't going to have a prayer. However, to contrast that they also didn't have a loud outspoken, promoter stirring the pot and keep keeping people interested because you've kind of got this this lightning in a bottle of tons of people come to your race well knowing they probably aren't going to win they just want to be a part of the madness man they want to be down there and say they were there and say they saw it happened and say they bought a tech card it's not just about going down there with a chance to win. I mean, obviously anybody that's in racing wants to win. That's the goal. But let's face it. When we're, when you're racing against the Mark Mickey's and Andrew Aleppa's and Daniel Ferris's and Tim Slavin's and the, you know, the Alex Laughlin's and the list goes on Jeff Neiser and Jamie Hancock and all these heavyweights. I mean, it's probably hard to head down to Valdosta and just know that you've got a really good chance at winning. No, absolutely. This is the only thing. And I've tried to, to put this, you know, to, um, you know, I don't know, to, to shove it down a little bit for people to understand. So you take Outlaw 10.5 or something. What, what I feel is different, and, and we'll touch on X275, but as far as radio versus the world goes, I think it's a lot easier to get more cars with and more money, like more premium teams to say, hey, listen, I don't care what kind of chassis or what kind of, what you got for a combination, this is what it weighs. You can come on and down and race with us. I think that that allows, instead of having, you know, just, uh, and, and I wasn't back in the full-fledged Owl 10-5, but, you know, you got Lynch and you, and you got, um, uh, who was we just talking about? Uh, Steve. Steve um, Kirk, Jack Barfield, Steve those Kirk. guys, so, Mike Hill. Yeah, so you have, you might have five or ten top guys that had a chance to win. You know what I mean? 
And I think that with RVW allowing in, you know, all the different combinations of cars, I think you do allow in enough people that can be competitive. I'm not saying they can all win. I'm That's saying true. That's a good point, a man. Lot, That's a very good point. I think a lot of them, I think a lot of them have, um, the, I think they have the equipment to win. Maybe I should say that. I think a lot of them have the equipment to run up front anyway. Um, now, whether or not they can do it or not, I don't know. But let's just face this, right? If you have, um, let's just say, Scotty G, and you have Keith Haney, and you got Jamie Hancock, and you got Norman Bryson, and you got Jack Green, and you got St- and Marcus Burt's car, that's six nitrous car. Chris Daniels, that's seven. They all have the same motors in the car, okay? 90-something percent of them have a 950-inch Musi engine, right? So if one car can go 360 flat or 359, whatever, then they all have the capability to go that fast. You can't really you know argue I mean? it, man. And that's something that we... I mean, I, and that's a great topic, and I want to I want to stay on this money thing here real quick okay. before we dive yeah. into that. Well, no, let's let's we'll circle back. How hard is that to write rules? Because we've talked about this whole thing, and you've been really public about you, you, your team specifically writes rules for max effort combinations, right? And that's right. hard to do, right? Because not everybody. This is a situation that exists in the NHRA. I had a conversation the other day an off the record conversation with a tuner who was telling me how he feels it's unfair that the NHRA wants to write rules surrounding, you know, that kind of not cater to, but are for teams that aren't willing to run their stuff on the ragged edge. The guys that run at the front are the guys that are willing to hang the rods out of this thing every time they go up there and they're willing to work all night to fix it. And it's not really fair that the NHRA writes the rules to compensate or to, to create parity for guys that aren't willing to run their stuff that hard. When this particular tuner said, if everybody out here was willing to run their stuff, like we run our stuff, and this is a front running crew chief, I believe every combination's competitive. But when you want to lay back and you don't want to work on your stuff all the time and you don't want to be up all night, building a new engine, you're going to have a hard time running at the front. And I might mess this up a little bit, but it goes something like this. Davey Jackson said, I absolutely have no respect for engine parts. So what he was telling me is, is he will leave the crank out on the starting line if he has to. You know what I mean? He told me that it doesn't matter. He said he will do whatever it takes. And that's somebody who is willing to go to distance. You know, he said, I, he said, I got no respect for that stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to either throw the crank out of it or go as fast as I possibly can. And I think that with what we got in RVW with the people we have and swapping motors and putting in pistons and rods all the time, it is made for a max effort team. I mean, we have some nitrous cars going 360 flat and we have some of them going 380 flat. Okay. But they both have the same, 950 Musi engine in it. And let's be honest, man, one of those teams, the 380 team, they've probably got a safe, and I'm not bagging on them, because that'd be who, if if I was racing, I'd be the 380 guy, right? I mean, I don't have enough, you know, the pockets aren't deep enough and the desire's not there to, to, to take all this really nice stuff I've got and turn it into rubble. I'll be honest. So I've yeah. got, I'm not calling anybody out, but the fact of the matter is the guys running 380 are probably running this safe tune up. They've talked to their engine builder. They've talked to their EFI guy or whoever, and this is a really safe 
it's going to run this number all the time. You're not going to have to hurt it. You're not going to have to work on it a lot. And that's, that's hard because it's really hard for you as a rule maker. How can you make that guy competitive when really the difference is he doesn't want to turn his stuff into a pile of rubble every night. And that's why when I got into the big argument on the internet and everybody was going to, you know, even big country, little country, um, all these guys were going to, we're leaving RVW. We can't compete in nitrous, you know, all that. So I had all that going on. I had the, the deal with Jay Cox, you know, I had, um, all these guys saying we'd come run with you, but we don't stand a chance. You know, I had, and, and not beating up on Pat Music, but it's like, I'm not putting my stuff out there to get embarrassed by boosted cars when we can't compete. So until it has been done, that's what puts me in a bad spot, you know? And Stevie Jackson, he didn't tell me he could go 360 or 355, which, which I believe he can go now. You know, he said, I can go faster than 362 with a nine, you know? So once he went out there and showed that he can go 360, and then right in the middle of the day, not that it was hot, but right in the middle of the day, they went 362. You know what I mean? So it's like at that point, okay, now we had eight cars. This is the truth. Honestly, God, truth. I got my hand up here. We had eight cars fixing to abandon ship and go do something either completely different or go change their combination. Now, guess what? They all got the same combination nitrous in their, in their car right now, and they're just changing trannies and converters and gears to figure out what they got to do because it's been proved it can be done now. So once Stevie, like Stevie pulled me out of the fire on that deal. And if you look at that 316, even though I don't agree with that 88 turbo deal and I got rid of it, even with that in there, a 57, a 58 with a one-off pro charger that nobody else could even buy. Maybe there was two or three of them in the world. But anyway, the thing went 58, and we had a nitrous car out there in three runs that went a 60 flat. I really think yeah, so- that they won. And honestly, if you talk to Marcus Burt in, in, yeah. after the fact, that dude was on the two-step, man. He was smiling ear to ear. And I honestly think that, like, by all accounts, Marcus Burt won the Sweet 16. Like, I know he didn't right, yeah. win the Sweet 16. He may not have left he with the have- money, but he kind of won the Sweet 16. I'll tell you that, I mean, if it- we want to talk, like, web traffic, that story the Marcus Burt goes 360 at at Sweet 16. That story literally is probably one of the most trafficked stories we've ever posted on dragillustrated.com. It was unbelievable the amount of traffic that that story got. And it's and it massively outperformed all of our results about who won and whatnot. And I'm not bagging on Kevin. It was obviously an awesome performance. And just recently on another episode of this podcast, I talked about how I think Kevin Rivenbark's performance at the Sweet 16 was probably the most impressive performance of the year so far. But if you look at headlines and how much buzz that run got, man, that guy, Marcus Burt won the sweet 16. It, listen, if you had went to the end of the race and not, and not finished the race and just voted for who won it, they would have gave it to Marcus Burt. There's just no hands down. They would have just gave the money to Marcus Burt. Did you, you know, get anybody to call? Did, did your phone ring after that run and have anybody call and say, like, oh, man, I was wrong. I'm going to eat my shoe well, or anything like that. Listen, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. Even Jay Cox and stuff called and was like, hey, man, what's the date of the races for next year? During the race, he wanted to know what the date was for February and, and Sweet 16 the following year. Because, you know, we're on the PDRA date, unfortunately, for October. But, you know, they're wanting to know because, and, and, you know, it's like the weight thing. People can lie or do whatever they want to. But the fact of the matter is, the car actually weighed like I think it was 
2335 or something like that. So it was about 65 pounds lighter than, um, I think, PDRA deal or whatever. So, you know, it wasn't, it's not 150 pounds or 200 pounds lighter or nothing like that. So those guys could come in there with a PDRA, you know, pro nitrous car and compete right away. There's no doubt about it. I agree with that. And I've been saying it for several years. And I actually, I'm stunned truly stunned with all the buzz and publicity that surrounds your races that there haven't been more of those guys. I thought certain by now we'd see a Jason Harris. We'd see Chris Reaney. We'd see Tommy Franklin. We'd see Lizzie Musi, Jay Cox. We'd see those guys down there with radials on their car. I really thought it would happen. And I hope, you know, if the good Lord's will in here, I really think that would be an exciting thing. And maybe they think that it would, maybe they believe that it would hurt you know, what they do in PDRA pro nitrous, but I don't really think your deal was never really meant to be. It's like a once, twice, three times a year freak show type of deal. It's a special King of the Hill race. And I don't think anybody can, you're not out there trying to compete with all these other sanctions and series or whatever. Right. We don't run the same classes. Like it's going to affect, like, you know what I'm saying? We don't do something that's going to, it's not taken away from anybody else. I would say, you know what I mean? As far as, you know, we're like, we're not, we're not taking classes that somebody else is running and trying to, you know, it's, it's different. Like you said, it's more of a freak show type deal, but, but let me just say this. I think that I, I really believe that if Lizzie Busey had a car together, came in there, set the world record or won the sweet 16, I don't see how that couldn't be uh, another, you know, feather in the cap for Pat Musi, for Lizzie Musi, and not really help out things, like instead of hurting things, I guess. I agree 100%. Saying. And whenever I was putting together my driver roster for the World Series of Pro Mod in 2018, last year, I actually reached out to Mark Caruso was who it was because I reached out to Mark Caruso, who was a PDRA pro boost front runner. I mean, he was a guy contending for a championship and I invited him to the world series of pro mod specifically because I thought it would be cool for the PDRA to be represented at this event. Now, granted we run completely different rules. We run quarter mile. They run eighth mile. There's all sorts of differences. And I suppose on some level you could say that we compete but we really don't, right? My deal's a one-off, once-a-year thing. It's a special happening. It's not a points-earning deal, anything like that. And I also reached out to a handful of front-running NMCA Extreme Pro Mod cars because I thought it would be cool for the NMCA to be represented out there at the at the World Series of Pro Mod. So I think you're right, man. If, if Lizzie or Jay Cox or any of those, Tommy Franklin, Jason Harris, any of those guys that run at the front of PDRA Pro Nitrous or Pro Boost were able to change their setup up enough to come over. I mean, if I were them, I'd be, I'd put PDRA on the quarter panel of that thing. I really would. I'd come out right. there and represent well, my brand and try to go to battle against all those badasses that you guys have on the property. Right. And not to change, you know, it's like, listen, here's the thing. I love the PDRA. I, you know, they've done nothing, but you know, we, we've talked, you know, they've been awesome. You know, I think that, you know, as far as like, they have a great, you know, they have a great guy over there, which, you know, is Jay Cox, in my opinion. I think that he's a character that I would love to have over here. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had Jay Cox over here, you know, running with us. And I, and I hope that he's going to come over with some car and come race with us. So, you know, I, and, you know, and I would take up, it's just like, you know, when things happen, you know, I'm the first one also to try to take up for the pro nitrous guys, even though I, I harass them on one side, but I also want to make sure that they're treated fairly on the other side. 
Well, that's a perfect layup here and a perfect segue for we wouldn't be doing a good job at this podcast, which is decidedly different from a lot of the other things that we've done here at Drag Illustrated. And I want to, this is, like you said at the beginning of the show, this is putting our honest caps on and and things like that. Obviously, there was a a very big happening here in the sport of drag racing a few weeks ago at uh, in Beach Bend, Kentucky, at the Outlaw Street Car Reunion when there was an issue with the timing system and Jamie Hancock was kind of rewarded or not awarded the the first ever 3.5 3.5 second run for a nitrous door slammer uh, a really historic barrier and it, it went wildfire on the internet 359 shot heard around the world 359 at a surprising 198 miles per hour there was a time slip associated with this thing a suspect 60 foot time um a suspect reaction time that Obviously, a lot of people caught on to and identified as problematic, an issue right off the bat. There were also a host of other people that kind of brushed it off as no big deal. A, a reaction time that came in qualifying, which was like a 120-something or whatever. No, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an elimination around. A lot of people tried to play it off as no big deal. And a 60-foot that wasn't completely outside of the realm of possibility, considering the car... Jamie Hancock's well-known 68 Pontiac Firebird, another Musi-powered hot rod, as you talked about earlier. That car's been in the, the you know, sway down in the sub one second, like 920, 19 range before. So it wouldn't, be, it would be, someone could argue that this wasn't completely unheard of. The speed, the reaction time, a lot of different factors. The fact that there were a slew of different cars that had some suspect numbers ultimately led the media bob brockmeyer a well-respected and the the owner of CompuLink timing systems who i believe is the final word chimed in in the days following and identified the run as invalid i think the word they used where there's no way that that number could stand up to any scrutiny the guard beams weren't on at the facility which is a whole other subject but obviously you kind of got in a big massive kind of back and forth with with the masses you were going back and forth with fans you had a lot of people on your side a lot of people that kind of painted you as an enemy i understand there's a whole lot of layers to this onion but i'm just curious man can you try to give people some insight as to why these things why they become so personal to you so fast all right so here's the deal you know we we gotta go by you know first of all and i hate to be a dick but there's a lot of not-so-intelligent people. Just because they own a computer or a smartphone or something they can go on Facebook doesn't mean they're very intelligent. Let me just say that, okay? Well, you'll and get so, no argument from me there. Right. So here's the deal. When something happens to suspect, we, we, you got to look at the whole system. If you have a car that goes 8, 11, 60 foot, and you know that there's no way that that's possible, and you got a car that goes 833, 60 foot. And you know that there's no way that's possible. And you got one that goes 865, 60 foot with Jack Green. And you know that that's impossible. And all the people are saying, hey, listen, this is impossible, you know. And then you get a car that goes 890. But they all have the same deal. Anytime that the 60 foot shows in the eights, the reaction time is always in the one point something. 1.2, 1.3, 1.5, so on and so forth. The problem that I have with it is that, you know, this is a class that if, if you want to destroy another class and, and, and nobody wants to stand up, 
that's a different story. That doesn't affect me as much. And even though I think the right thing is for people to stand up and do what's right or what they feel is right. And so with me, I've, I've made a class. You know, we've worked our butts off. We have a lot of people out there, nitrous cars, whether they're in PDRA Pro Nitrous, whether they're running radials or whatever. And when you take something that is very suspect and is very questionable, and we don't know what's going on with it, I don't. I think the press, and I, I don't want to use that term. Me, you talked about. I don't want to use the, the the word press is kind of. That's a broad, like, like me and you were talking, not everybody that shows up out there, just because they got a phone and can post on Facebook, they're not real press. I agree you, you with know that, what but, I, mean? I, but so, for, I understand for the sake of this particular deal, I understand that you've kind of got to say, you got to lump everybody together. I appreciate I'm, I'm, it, I'm and, we, and we'll touch on that in a minute. Okay. Well, anyway, so press, however you want to. Hey, we ran you know. a story, man. At the time, yeah. with the information that we had, Drag Illustrated ran a story, Dragzine ran a story, Competition Plus ran a story, all the, the internet kind of media outlets or the, the social media internet outlets, they all ran stories. Videos were flying around, pictures were flying around. And yeah, I, I actually, I mean, we took ours down as soon as information came to light that it might be suspect. But I'll be honest, I did my due diligence. I called a dozen people to try to get someone to give me any sort of, you know, insight or somebody to acknowledge that this might be questionable. And I couldn't believe it. I was actually out of town. I was at Houston. I was in Houston, excuse me, at the NHRA spring nationals. I was down there the whole weekend and I wasn't really in a position to get anybody to to talk to the, the outside people, people that were going to be unbiased, right? Everybody that I was calling kind of had a dog in the hunt. They were either someone such as yourself who were super heated on one side of the fence or they were super heated on the other side of the fence. Cause I had a whole bunch of people get kind of sideways with me that I would even question the legitimacy right. of the run. And I'm going, Holy crap, man. Why is this is a really, really interesting deal. So my thought well, was get home and I can get a timing systems expert. I can start calling some other people that are un that are unbiased that aren't really involved in this deal one way or the other and get the straight dirt on it. And we, we eventually did, but in the moment, I get it, man. No one, they, they were given the record, right? They had the fastest nitrous car in the world. Well, they were given the record by some people, right? Not by, not by, not by anybody with any intelligence, but yes, by, by the people that was following along. Yes, they were. But if you talk to Stevie Jackson or you talk to Jay Cox, if you talk to Pat Musi, I guarantee you, he wasn't sitting there trying to claim it either. So my my whole thing is this. Everybody knows listen, if he if he does it, right? If he goes somewhere else, right? And he's got a 030, 040 reaction and his car goes a 59 or a 60 or whatever, he's done something that nobody else in the whole world or the history is even close to. And the reason I say that is this. Any car in the history of this sport, door car that can go a bottom mid to bottom 60 has to go 119 to 120 back split and has to go between 200 and high 203, 204 to 209 miles an hour like Lizzie Musi. It has never been done any other way in the history of the sport. And it would be basically the laws of physics would have to change for this to happen. Hey, listen, if he does it, God bless him. Because it, what it shows is, if, if he can do 
what he's doing there at that speed and that the the speed, the mile per hour, everything he's got going on there, it would show that a nitrous car where PRA has got a 63 or 64 record, it would show they could go 62 or 63. That's what it I mean, 52 or 53 is what it would show. Also, remember this. If you if you got your car sitting there and you're you've made two or three licks and the fastest that you've gone is a seventy two. Now remember this. In qualifying at the same track, the car went like a seventy two or seventy three. Okay? They go back to the pits and the next thing they come out and it goes sixty flat. That means you've picked up from a seventy three or seventy two to a sixty flat with the same mile per hour. It's pretty – got to be honest. When I saw the whole deal happen, the thing that – and, hey, you know what? Shame on us for falling into line. And I'm kind of getting called out here, and, it, and now – No, I, no, no, no. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm just – as I'm kind of reflecting on it, I think that we should have stood our ground a little bit more because I told Tyler Crossno, the event promoter. I told Jamie Hancock. These are all people I talk to personally. Um one of the things that I told all those people that I just really, I was having a hard time with it, a super hard time with it. But at the same time, if in the competitive news world, if everybody was running stories on it, I mean, I hate to say it, but I didn't want to be the only one that didn't run a story. So we ran a story. And I understand exactly why that, Everybody did it. I guess that when you're a little deeper into it, you know, or, you know, what also you got to remember, do you know how much it, it took everybody and forget, forget radials. Okay. It took everybody in pro nitrous with every bit of knowledge, every bit of money that they've ever had. And by, by claiming this deal over here, took away everything from over on the other side. I agree. I can't argue it, man. I just, it would be, let me ask you this. And this is why, and like I said, and when I said something, and I want to make sure I clear this up, right? And when I went on there and threatened some type of legal action, I'm not even saying legal action in a court system. What I'm saying is, is that it, it needs some kind of review board, Wes. It'd be like, let me ask you this. If that happened in NHRA and somebody picked up, a, a full tent and it had all that shifty stuff going on. What's the first thing they would have done? They, they would have thrown that run out, bro. No, there's no doubt. So because, because people want the attention so bad and want to claim stuff so bad that instead of maybe doing their due diligence, instead of researching everything and going, Hey, listen, we've had 10 cars out here with some with some uh, messed up 60 foots and slow reaction times, maybe we should take a good look at this deal. You know, and, and this is the other thing. I have the article where the people said they went over to the man's car, verified all the information, and legitified the 359. Okay? I just... I, I just think, like, I mean, I don't understand how we can go over there and just because the G-meter's a little bit more, go, hey, instead of going to 372, it went 359. I agree. This is the whole thing. I have to, I have to stand up 
no matter what, I have to stand up for – and everybody goes, oh, I didn't have a duck straight. Listen, if Jamie Hancock can go 359, God bless him. I don't care where he does it because you know what? It makes things way easier on me rules-wise. And I don't – these people wouldn't want to sit there and hate go, oh, I didn't have a South Georgia. I don't care. If Jamie goes – 356 or 357 in a couple months or whatever, that's awesome. I don't care because it all just keeps coming around, Wes. And that's what people don't understand. They want to sit there and act like, you know, it's it's duck versus this. It, it, that's not what it is. Every year as the tracks go around, the records are going to get broken. That's what they're there for. They're there to get broken. So, you know, you might go up to, to wherever, Maryland or Galat or Cecil or wherever it is, when it comes back around, it might go over to Orlando. It might go down to Bradenton. When it comes back to South Georgia, I'm sure it's going to happen at South Georgia. It's going to keep rotating around. Not one person's going to ever hold the record. It's always going to rotate around. And I think that I don't think anybody can fault you, to be honest, for sticking to your guns and saying what you think. And to be honest, if I'm being honest, I think I have to admit that I wasn't really publicly saying what I thought in the moment. I was, we were coming at it from the, from the stance of a news outlet that this is the news that's being reported. This is a run that's being verified, you know, around the country. You know, people are talking about this. People are, everybody is accepting it as fact. So we kind of ran with it. And as soon as we had reason not to, we pumped the brakes on it. But you're right. You mentioned something a moment ago. I was actually in a situation at the NHRA Spring Nationals. I have firsthand experience with this where a car, JR car during the, uh, I think, second round of Mountain Motor Pro Stock, an exhibition class that was running that weekend, the car threw up like a 240 reaction time. He had a situation with the way he staged the car. It normally, whenever they bring it up, those cars would have clutches. They grab a little bit of brake pressure, a couple hundred pounds of brake pressure when they light the top bulb and then they kind of bring the motor up and it'll creep the rest of the way in and stage, right? Well, whenever he brought the motor up, it, it didn't stage. It kind of rolled forward and then rolled back out of the beams like a turbo car or something. And so he kind of had to reset, start over. And when he did something it it something happened with the clocks i don't claim to know exactly what happened but it had a 240 reaction time a 908 60 foot time and a world record 620 elapsed time which is like literally like two or three numbers better than anybody had ever been in history right so i immediately i'm holding the microphone in my hand i'm sitting next to alan reinhardt like the voice of the nhra in the 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 booth at a national event and i literally just said out loud like hey guys i don't think that run's going to stand up to any sort of scrutiny that's a really suspect elapsed time i have a funny feeling something was dragging or something happened there with the timing system and it, it within a millisecond donald someone threw that run out right bob brockmeyer the guy from compulink poked his head in the tower and said yep that runs no good Absolutely. I mean, I listen, it, from what I heard, Rockmeyer had heard the situation that was going on, you know, and he knew that, you know, something was definitely going on, you know, with it. Obviously, when you start seeing 811s and 833s and all that, that, you know, that something's not right. I wish and I understand, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't I don't hate Tyler. I don't dislike Tyler. I don't dislike people setting records wherever they go. But with somebody, no matter what. I tried to get on there in more of a peacefully way. Jay Cox had all kinds of stuff stirred up. I kind of was like, you know, letting everybody do their thing or whatever. And 
nobody wanted to stop and do the right thing, which I feel like was to, you know, fix the problems that they had going on. I understand that they had weather moving in, but at the end of the day, Wes, we cannot change the history of drag racing or drag radio or radio versus the world just because we have some other issues going on. I agree. And I think it's a very valid point. And I, I will, I'm not one to go wild online. And so for me, but I can't really fault you or Jay Cox from speaking your mind a few weeks ago on my show that we host on the drag illustrated Facebook page. I was ranting and raving, wishing more people would be a little bit more vocal with their opinions. I think it's something our sport lacks. So I can't, I can't in one breath endorse it. And then another breath condone it. Um, And, and this is the thing. I'm not saying that sometimes I don't go a little bit farther than I should, okay? And and yes, was I heated about the situation? Obviously I was because it not only affects, you know, it, it affects rule. It, it affects more than just somebody going, hey, I went 359, okay? What it affects is not only did you go 359, but you did it with no horsepower whatsoever. And I'm not beating those guys up. I love them. But what they did was run a 359 time on a ticket with absolutely no freaking power, none. Because if you go 198 miles an hour, you could have done that five years ago with a 706 or a 750 something. You understand what I'm saying? I agree, so man. Now, and that's, it really is so, suspect. I mean, you look at the, in a, the PDRA pro nitrous division and any of those cars to run even remotely close to that would be 206, 207, right. 208, right? Right. I mean, pro nitrous cars are out there and I always got to go back to the pro nitrous thing because the pro nitrous cars are out there. They're all going, you know, and everybody goes, all oh, the tires growing or whatever. We know that's BS. Stevie Jackson already proved he went 205, 206 mile an hour, a 315 radial. So all that's, but, you know, we know that that's not, you know, that's not accurate now. We know that that's what it's going to take. It went a 119 back split. We know this is what it's going to take to run. If, if Jamie can come back out somewhere with a, with a regular reaction time and run somewhere down in the, you know, bottom sixties or, or whatever, it's going to prove that not only can we, not only can the nitrous cars compete, but somebody with some real horsepower, you know, turned on is really going to be out there. I mean, we're talking bottom fifties here. I agree. It's a whole can of worms. I'm curious. And we're before we kind of transition, I I wanted to put a bow on this particular conversation. And we I don't want this whole thing to be about that dramatic situation. It is what it is. There's two things that I want to touch on before we, we shift gears. One is and I know this is something that that bothers you. And I think it is a legitimate thing is that no matter what, this moment in drag racing time and arguably one of the last barriers we may see for a while, there are people that think we're going to see radial cars in the 340s. I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I personally don't think it's going to happen immediately. I think we're at least a year away from it, if not further. But let's be honest, this 350 nitrous thing that was really gaining some steam following the sweet 16. And there were guys changing their schedules, Justin, little country Swanstrom, that team, they were, they were picking different races they were going to go to because all of a sudden there were some guys, especially over there in the PDRA pro nitrous division here in the spring going, you know what? We may have the weather to, to be the first in the fifties. What's your take? I mean, is that moment forever changed? It's forever changed. In my opinion, I don't think that you can, I think that, listen, here's the deal. There's still, and, and you know, I, and I'm going to probably get in a little trouble, but there's still what I consider 
some fake news stuff out there where people have videoed it. They still have it up. They're not going to take it down. They're still going to claim it. They're going to get their views on YouTube. They're going to make their money. They do not care about what it does to the sport. If they did, they would take it down. But they're not going to, Wes. It's not to them. They have they're gaining something by keeping it up. And they're not going to worry about the damage that what it's done to radials, to pro nitrous, to to the promoters like me that have been, you know, trying to get this class for 10 years. This is just, you know, the way that I feel about it. And I don't feel like they are near as concerned or caring about what's going to happen to the class as what they are about what they can make off of it right now. Well, I, I hope that that's not the case. I've done a little bit of digging to be honest, and I've been somewhat surprised that there's not been more like widespread recanting. You know what I mean? I feel like I felt an obligation to be honest. I felt like we had an obligation with drag illustrated to make it known that this, that experts indicate this run didn't happen. And I'll tell you, we had 25,000 clicks to the website in 24 hours, people clicking that link and reading the story that indicates the run wasn't happening. We deleted the initial story claiming the record from our server because I don't want anyone to stumble across it. However, I hope that collectively as a sport, the media, yourself and everybody else involved when that moment happens. And you know what? It'd be spectacular if Jamie ended up doing it. If Jamie ended up doing it and there was no questions around it, that'd be very fitting. I don't know if that'll be the case. I mean, because that was part of the issue as well. The car, to the best of my knowledge, they'd been like a 368, that team, right? So I do think that we can all common logic says that that's a huge jump in performance. And we're really being silly. If we think that you can make a couple of adjustments and pick up a 10th, we all know this is, they picked up a 10th or more in about an hour. Because during the race, they had, I mean, yes, they had gone a 68 before, but during that race, they had only gone a 72 or 73. So, but you know, I don't back to the thing though, before we, I feel like no matter what this, listen, I don't think that anybody can argue. It's tarnished. No matter what this, with the amount of social media, the amount of people out there that no matter what you come back and tell them now, Wes, and I'm not saying everybody, but I go on there and read, there's still 50% of the people that believe this is what happened. I've been surprised. I've been surprised that there have been, I mean, I've had people tell me that I'm a hater. I've gotten messages going, oh, you're just a hater. You're just a, you're just a believer in what ducks doing. And that's, that's not the case at all, man. I think every indication is there for, to throw the run out. I'm curious. Do you think that this changes this whole situation? I've thought to myself, if you're a race promoter and I've said this before publicly, but you better have your shit together right now, because I think if anything that's happened, if there's any silver lining to this whole situation and I mean, listen, ultimately I'm glad that what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. The right information's out there. The, the record, the barrier remains unbroken in in all honesty, the, the barrier remains unbroken, but I'm curious do you think that this is going to change the course of drag racing history? Because people, there have been situations like this dating back 
for decades, right? I mean, there's a big argument that exists amongst drag racing fans who went 200 miles per hour first, Chris Caramassini's or Big Daddy Don Garlitz. They both claim the record, right? So, and that was before the internet. They both claim it. They both claim that they did it first. So I'm curious, are we going to enter a new time? Like if I'm having a radio race anytime in the near future, I'm measuring those beams. I am doing everything. I'm double, triple checking the timing system. I'm checking. I am dotting my I's and crossing my T's. Do you feel any pressure from that? You know, listen, besides, I mean, you know, I saw some idiot was on there posting about Jim Alvis's car. And, and obviously we already knew about Jim Alvis's car, you know, that, but that's not a timing system error. That's, you know, that you're going to have a car here and there it's going to drag the diaper that's going to have this or that. And, and, and yes, should it be corrected? Absolutely. But listen, if you're claiming world records versus a regular time, it's, it's a little different, Wes, you, you know what I'm saying? You know, a, a, a diaper dragging and going five fifties to the eighth mile ain't like something happening and setting world records. that's going to change the course of history for the next 10 years. I can't argue you that at all, saying? but I'm curious. It's, do you think true. that track promoters and, yeah, and yeah, event promoters are going to yeah, feel more pressure absolutely. moving forward? Absolutely. I hundred percent, you know, this is the thing, you know, I believe, and, and I'm not just saying, but I believe with, I feel like, listen, here's the thing. No matter what, when we got people like Wade rich and I'm not just blowing smoke, whether I was still doing races with Wade or I wasn't, there's a certain amount of people in the industry that have been around it. They haven't just been doing something for five years, okay? And I'm not just beating up on people who are just starting, but let me assure you, somebody that has 30 or 40 years of experience out there ain't the same as someone who's got five or six years. I'm just telling you that right now. So if we've seen all this stuff, you know, happen. Like, you know, when I used to race my car, I had my car where it drugged the diaper, but I didn't go out there and go, hey, I went – you know, 390 when everybody was going 425, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, I knew that's what it was. And I think that, yes, the promoters, back to your class, your question, because I don't want to – yes, I think everybody should be under the gun right now. I think everybody should make sure everything's 100%. And I think there's a lot of outlaw tracks out there that aren't right, Wes, that aren't 100%. They grind these tracks. Are they going and redoing the beams after they grind the track? I mean, if you cut a half inch off of a quarter or half inch off and you drop the car down another quarter or half inch, then a car that was sitting three inches ain't really sitting three inches anymore, right? If a car if a car was sitting three inches off the ground per NHRA specs, right? And you cut a half inch off the off the asphalt or off the regrind it and it's a quarter half inch down, then if you don't move the beams, the car's not really three inches off the ground anymore. I can't argue, man. I agree 100%. You know, but but I want to go back, if we can, and, and I don't want to just keep – the history's been changed now on that, but let me, let me back up three or four or five years, okay? Because I want everybody to understand why this is so upsetting. When they ran at Huntsville, okay, and I know this was probably before that you were all into the radial deal, but – you know, we had a fight going with, say, 10 race cars to go 399 first, okay? One of the most questionable times in the history of drag radial racing is going to be what happened at Huntsville. And the, and the reason is the same thing. We had these 
two second reaction times with cars going, you know, I, I don't even know. It was it was like a a half a cent quicker than anybody else in the world's ever gone. And even when everybody left there, it took them two more years to get back to the same point, Wes. You know, I watched Shane Stack supposedly go 14 at the Huntsville Triangle, and it took him two years to get back there. And when he did, guess what? He had a 030 reaction time, not a 2.1 reaction time or a 170 reaction time. When Brad Edwards went 399, the guy had to change 16 trannies, converters, engines, fuel injection, and everything to ever get back to that same time. So we're saying right here that those runs, that historic moment, the first to the threes on drag radials, I mean, those were all questionable too. I think that if you had Brock Meyer there at Huntsville, when it happened, without a doubt, he would have threw it out in 10 seconds. But we've changed the history of the sport. And, and this is the thing. It's kind of like Stevie Jackson said. The, when they got ready to leave there, the longer that they waited – to change this, the worse that it would be, not only on the racer, but on the class, the sport, and everything. I can't argue that one bit, man. I really can't. I, it's, it's, it's such a bummer of a situation, is really what it is. I, it, and it did. It was allowed to kind of spiral out of control, and I have to think that everybody involved is looking back at this going, man, we kind of let this get we let it go too far. And I, and I, I've questioned the whole situation, man. I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to beat, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm glad that, that level heads have kind of prevailed here and someone was able to speak up and, and make it known that the, the run wasn't legit, but it, it is kind of crazy, man. And it's always going to be one of these big storylines. I would argue that later this year, or maybe this time next year, we'll look back at 2019 and say this whole situation it was probably one of the most talked about things in all of drag racing. And, and I think in the, in the future, it will make it better though. If, if you want to say, yeah, the silver line, I think that I'm hoping I say that, but yet we had, you know, Bobby with the four wheel drive truck and he posted a thing up there yesterday or the day before showing that his truck went eight sixties, you know, then in the video, the truck leaves the line and the stage bulb is still on. Well, this is a great transition, man. And I think that one of the things that exist in our sport of drag racing that scares me a little bit, and I don't, I don't know really what to make of it, but it does make me insane. I told you this story a few days ago, but I'll tell it again for the sake of the podcast that many, many moons ago, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, I had a group, I was, I had a bunch of car buddies down in Kansas city, Missouri, and we would all go to KCIR, Kansas city international raceway, this well-known quarter mile drag strip here in the Midwest. Unfortunately, it's, it's long since been closed down, but there was an issue one Wednesday night during one of their famed grudge nights, streetcar test and tune nights where I believe lightning had struck the tower and the timing system was screwed up. Right. And everybody knew that the timing system was kind of acting funny, but everybody, they had a bunch of cars there and they were letting everybody run. Right. So nobody that was there really cared. It wasn't a competitive event. It was just, we were just, everybody was running their car. So I had a buddy who had a, a notchback Fox body Mustang that would go like 13 twenties in the quarter mile on its best day. Like it was a street car through the muffler stick shift car, whatever he goes up there and clicks off an 1129 
And I remember him coming back around and we're all like laughing. Right. And he is grinning ear to ear. And he's like, <laughs> man, I've been waiting a long time for this moment, man. She finally got her done, man. Finally made a good run. And, I, and we were all like, bro, there's no doubt in it, it. Literally, they've been telling everybody the clocks are screwing up. It, it didn't run in 1129. There's no chance, man. You didn't. I mean, you can't pick up two seconds. It's not like nothing changed. Nothing. You didn't do anything different. You didn't. Man, I did a lot better job driving that. I finally got it. Finally got third gear just right. And we're going. And I couldn't believe. I mean, and I'm telling you, dude, that's been 50, like 20 years ago. And still to this day, my friend, Justin, I honestly think that he had and he believes that he had an 11 second Mustang. And it kind of, no, it's just funny because we, I think racers and I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but it is kind of crazy how like drunk everybody gets on this stuff. Cause I could see it. I could hear it in people's voice when I was talking to them regarding this 359 run. I could see it in their eyes and some of the pictures that I was seeing. It was like they'd all won the lottery simultaneously. Well, listen, that guy's probably like another friend of mine or ex-friend of mine that I know. That guy's probably still got a time slip in his wallet. Your friend, he's still carrying around with him. Oh, guarantee, that. man. Because, I mean, if he had any money, he would have gotten shirts printed. Yeah, we we had the same thing over here. Somebody would go down to our little Lakeland drag strip. They'd come back all of a sudden. I mean, they'd come back. The ET was whatever. They picked up nine miles per hour. Listen, we all know that it's bogus. You, you know what I'm saying? But But here's the thing. Jamie and them have a great crew. They have a great combination, you know, and, and they're going to do phenomenal. You know, they really are. I just, I wish it would have went down a different way. Um, you know, I, I think that what has happened is it got me so upset from the Huntsville deal because of all the stuff that was claimed back then. And, you know, then it took people two or three years to get back to the same, to the same thing with different combinations. And it's like, I just don't want it to affect the rest of the nitrous and pro nitrous and the rest of our guys over here, I don't want it to affect these people for two years on something unless we can verify that it's good. And, and I, and I'll tell you this, I almost was going to think about trying to even call up Brockmeyer and pay him to go to some of these races where it was going to interfere. You know, it's going to have something to do with RBW and, you know, just to be there to make sure because, I mean, we have to all be held accountable, don't you think, Wes, for, for ProMod, for, for Outlaw 10-5, for, you know, for, for whatever. I mean, you know, somebody's got to hold on to the integrity of the class. Well, I know that it was weighing heavily on me, man, because in case you don't know, like we keep track in the back of Drag Illustrated by way of, you know, legendary statistician Brett Kepner. We maintain a top eight listing in the back of Drag Illustrated magazine that is probably I would say it's one of the most talked about things that we do with the magazine. There was actually a period of time where we didn't publish it. Um, for a multitude of reasons, but it's a lot of work to maintain this. It's a lot of work. And we actually, we didn't publish it for a while and we had tons of people calling us going, no, you got to get the top eight back in the magazine. Matter of fact, you need to make it bigger early on. It was just a single page in the back of the magazine. And then we turned it into a two page spread. And again, I'm telling you this a couple weeks ago, I was sweating this deal. Cause I'm going, okay, 
we we're not gonna i don't there's no way we can honor this time i don't think there's any way that we can honor this time i'm looking at it i'm talking to i'm talking to different people and i've had i was having people honor you know argue both different sides of it and i knew that we were gonna have to and that's one of the things that you were kind of touching on a second ago it's so different and I'm not trying to give my team, my guys at Drag Illustrated, and I believe what my guys do is unbelievable. This group of people that we have is really special. But people sometimes don't understand the difference really between, and I'm not bagging on anybody that has a, a, a digital outlet, a digital media outlet, but man, there's something gospel about the written word. And when we print and mail literally tens of thousands of copies of this magazine, I can't go click delete right? You can't refresh the page and make it go away, right? Whenever we put something in print, that shit's there forever, man. There's no way to take it back. And there's a real, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, right? Because whatever we say, we got to live with forever, forever, right? And it's, that's a tough, tough situation. So I know that whole situation was killing me because we needed to get to the bottom of it in a hurry because we were preparing to go to print. And if that was, you know, what's the record going to be? So I'm, it's kind of a role we never wanted to get into necessarily, but I'm actually kind of happy to do it. Oh, I think that's a, I think that's a, I mean, honestly, that's a phenomenal part of the magazine. Like you said, it, listen, it makes a big difference. If you, I understand the online stuff and I'm not beating anybody up for online stuff, but listen, if you pick up, a drag illustrator, you flip to the back and you see your name in print and you're holding on to the world record or you're in the top two, three, four, five, whatever it is, it's different than just going on where someone's posted something on Facebook. I'm just telling you right now. I like to think so, man. I really do. I like to think it is. And it's, it's significant. I know a lot of guys, whenever they earn one of those top eight spots, I've had guys that just make it into the top eight. Dwayne Mills made it into the top eight. He ran like a 366, I think, um, back at your race. I think it was like last spring. And he made it into the top eight. And they want a poster print of that bad boy, right? They want to they commemorate it forever. They've cracked the top eight. Listen, I think, though, like you said, I, back to the whole thing, I believe that it's going to help in the long run. I do believe that. I think what it's done is it's at least brought it to the front. You know what I mean? As far as, hey, listen, we need to take a look at this stuff. And I, I just think that it has brought it to the very front now. I think that when one of the main, one of the main giveaways, and it's not every time, but one of the main giveaways is going to be if you see some reaction time where if you see a guy normally going 020, 030, and all of a sudden he's going 120 to 180, and let's look back at that and not beating up on that race, but if you look back on that race, almost every time slip that you saw, did you look at them all? Forget whatever the ET had. They all had 120, 130, 150 reaction times and a whole bunch of classes. So, you know, when you start seeing that, you got to wonder, did everybody forget how to drive or is there something else maybe going on? I can't argue, man. I really can. I, I, there was, there was clearly an issue going on and I'm just glad that I, I hate it in a lot of ways, man. Just the whole situation was unfortunate on it, so many different it levels. Is, it, it is, is bad. It, and I'm wanting to be a hundred percent past that. Move on. Listen, the way that Tyler handled paying all those people and everything was phenomenal. Nobody, that's, that's the thing people think. 
nobody is beating up what the race was about, how it was handled, how the money stuff, all that stuff was phenomenal. You know what I mean? We're just talking about something though on a, on a ET side of it that can change the history of a class or a sport for the next however many years for something that would, that could never happen again. And that's what we're, that's the only part that I have any problem with. I have no problem with anything else.